shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Put the needle on the record and a drum beat goes. Goes a little something like this. Like what? Like episode 31. What is going on? Human Hope fam, welcome to 31. Oh my gosh. We are more than halfway through the year. This year of podcasting. And I'm grateful that you're here for another extremely hopeful episode of the Human Hope Podcast with your host. Let's hear it together. Carlos Enrique with the Guzman and Chibol Cabello. Or Los for short. And boy, oh boy, do I have my heart laid out on a platter for you guys today, right? Today. Like, I, I mean, I care about the episodes that I bring you guys. I care about the conversations. Last year's convers- last week's conversation with Ashley Lemieux was incredible. Um, but this one, this one, oh, this one I'm bleeding on. I'm just telling you, you cut me, this conversation comes out. Uh, so, buckle up, biscuit heads. I, <laughs> I don't know why I just called you guys a biscuit head. That's what you're going to be, my little human hope biscuit heads. Buckle up, because today we're going to be talking about ooh, some compassion, maybe some empathy, uh, and maybe some things that make you guys a little bit uncomfortable. Because sometimes when you st- stare injustice in the face, you got to see all sides of it, right? You got to see like, you don't just get like the Instagram filtered version of injustice. Not on this show. When you stare at it, you get to see even the parts that you may be like, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that is justice. Do I have to fight for the whole thing? Today, we're going to dive deep into a conversation on the death penalty. That is right. You guys know how I feel about the death penalty. And let me let me let you guys know something. This podcast episode is meant to um, maybe take you guys on a journey towards not caring to caring. Now, what I want to let you guys know is you may end up caring opposite than I care. And guess what? I'm okay with that. I just want you to care. I want you to care about the death penalty like, uh, like every family of murder victims and family of murderers on death row care about the death penalty. They all care about it. Um, and you know, it's last year during when um, President Trump turned back on federal executions for the first time in 18 years and there was more people executed in a matter of months than there had been in two decades. Um, it, it caught the attention of the national media and more and more people begin to care. So today we're going to hop into a conversation with not me leading the conversation. No, no, no. We've got a brand new friend on the podcast. Stacy Rector is going to be uh, speaking with us. She is the executive director of Tennesseans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. 
And my, oh my, does this woman have some knowledge? Uh, and, and I think she does a great job at laying out some alternatives to the death penalty. So we're going to hop into that. But before we get into that conversation, I do want to update those of you that have been keeping up with uh, Larry. So did I tease it last week? I think I did tease it on last week's episode. When the podcast came out, I had started another fundraiser uh, on Instagram. And in a grand total of 24, do you guys hear my sniffles? Sorry, that was that was gross. I'm a little sick. Not, I'm not sick. Stop. I'm a little sniffly. Okay, that's not sick. I can still get done what I need to get done. But I, I got the sniffles. And no, I don't have COVID. We do remember that you can actually get a cold without it being COVID. That's what I got. So, um, squirrel. I'm back. My friend Larry was in the hospital in a coma with COVID and was on a ventilator. Time to say your goodbyes. Jessica's wife, go to the hospital, say goodbye. Another week, he's still in a coma. He's not dead. Another week, he's still in a coma. He's not dead. Still on the vent. Then he wakes up. They take him off the vent. Then they roll him over. Then he gets out of ICU. Now he is in rehab. My friend Larry, I didn't know if he was going to live. But in 24 hours, you guys raise enough to cover all their medical bills, all their rehab bills, and to take care of a few months of income for Larry. And I can't say thank you enough. Uh, It was like a little over $118,000 that we raised strictly on Venmo and PayPal and Cash App. I think think Levi Lesko sent me 50 bucks on Apple Cash. (laughs) Thanks, Levi. All of it together, a little over $118,000 in 24 hours. I don't want this to ever get normal, okay? Also, you know, I have a lot of concern in stuff family members asking me about taxes and things. Just to let you know, I've got two tax attorneys, two CPAs, and my business manager on top of all this stuff. And so just know um, that we are being smart about how we're doing all of these, this fundraising, but also know that I'm looking ahead as to alternative solutions to fundraising, alternative even to what's out there. Uh, Something that could be better, a nonprofit that allows you to have tax write-offs as you give. Uh, Because some of you guys are giving more and more bigger and bigger amounts. And so, you know, I just want to do this um, with the most integrity possible. And right now my integrity is like, hey, just look in my Venmo account in my bank account. That's fine. Man. I don't care. Uh, take screen captures, but sooner than later, I would love to start a nonprofit so that we could do even bigger things. Um, we're doing some big things, guys. 118,000 more dollars. I mean, we're like, I think we're almost to $700,000 total raised for the year. That is amazing. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much. I've been traveling all over the place. Honestly, I, I, I left a week ago today when this is coming out. And I went to Plymouth, Massachusetts. Oh man, can't even talk. Plymouth, Massachusetts, not Massachusetts, Michigan. Lord have mercy, Plymouth, Michigan, and then Holland, Michigan. Had a meetup in Holland, Michigan. Like fifty people showed up. Holland, Michigan, in the house. Then I drove to Kalamazoo. Then I flew to L.A. Then I had a meeting in L.A. And then I went to Laguna. And then I preached in Rancho Cucamonga. And then I drove back to Laguna. Then I went to L.A. Then I went to. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah, back to Michigan. And now back in Nashville, Tennessee. This is my first day home when I'm recording this podcast. First full day, 24 hours home. And then I leave again today when you listen to this to Atlanta. It's a busy season and I will be doing Insta Familia meetups every few cities or so. So keep your eyes peeled on the Instagram at L-O-S-W-H-I-T is the Instagram handle. And now, so what I want you guys to do I want you to step into this conversation with an even opener mind than you think you have. So if you think, no, my mind's open, I want you to open up even wider. Because what Stacy does is she takes us on two, two journeys. One is a kind of a policy public servant journey. Like, hey, let's just look at the policies when it comes to that penalty. The other was is more of like a conscious a moral journey. And both of those, I really feel like 
get to the crux. You know, Stacy um, served as a spiritual advisor to Steve Henley, who was executed February 4th, 2009. And she talks about that journey, being with him, the hours leading up to his execution. And I just think you guys are going to get a lot out of this. This is actually not going to be the last death penalty conversation we have on here uh, because I believe uh, this is my heart, right? I'm I'm an abolitionist. This is my heart. Some people care about some things, which is great. I care about this. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I do want you guys um, to, first of all, thank Stacy. When we get off of here, I'll let you guys how know how to reach out to her. But really, really, really listen to understand when Stacy starts to lean into maybe some uncomfortable spaces. Friends, enjoy our brand new friend from the Tennesseans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty, the Executive Director, Stacy Rector. Okay, Human Hope Familia, I am looking on my screen at the wonderful Stacy Rector. Um, as I mentioned just a minute ago, Stacy is the executive director uh, for the Tennessee Tennesseans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. And if you guys follow me on social media at all, you know that I tried to leverage my influence um, around this topic. And it's it's a topic, Stacy, that I'll be honest with you, up until late last year was not something that was something I was fighting for. And I, um, I, I got thrown in through a relationship of a friend of mine that was on Brandon Bernard's case. Um, as, and so she was an attorney for him and she was one of my friends and asked me to advocate for him. And I, um, honestly, I was a little taken back when I got that text message from her. Cause I was like, wow, a lot of people ask me to do things. Nobody's ever asked me to advocate for somebody on death row. And so I had about a 16 hour, um, come to Jesus. Like, okay, wait a second. What do I believe? What are they doing? What I, I went all in and I, I tell you what, I, I kind of have the whole thing highlighted in real time on my Instagram highlights where I was trying to get, you know, my Instagram followers to, to sign all the petitions and to do all the things. And she was with Brandon and I was, I was relaying information back and forth on my Instagram. And so I basically watched that man, a completely healthy, remorseful, yet innocent man die in real time. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it wrecked me and it changed me forever. And so that is probably how somebody reached out to you that said, Hey, there's, there's a guy named Carlos that uh, is advocating for the abolition of the death penalty. And I am. And so with all that being said, I want you to jump in, Stacey, introduce yourself and and let us know how this became something, um, what what your role is, what is is it that you're kind of doing day to day, and then how this became something that you started to fight against. Well, thank you so much, Carlos. And um, that's really important to hear your story and how you came to this. It's always, I'm always so interested in that. And obviously, the stories are what get us, you know, I think there's a lot of data, there's a lot of statistics and it's really important. We need to know that, but looking at a human being and their story, um, and, uh, seeing just how the system, in my opinion, doesn't work, (laughs) um, is really what I think moves people to really go, wait a minute, something's really, really wrong. Um, so our organization, as you mentioned earlier, is Tennesseans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. We are a statewide organization here in Tennessee, and our sole mission is to educate people about this system, this broken, failed system, um, to help people understand that, to help people, um, understand it beyond. And obviously the moral conversations are very important. But even beyond the moral conversations are the conversations about what do we believe a public policy should do and should be, right, as citizens. Right, you right. Know? And so yeah. w- what we find is that even people who may not have the philosophical or moral qualms with the death penalty can still look at the system and go, it's broken. It doesn't work, yeah. right? And so yeah. we're really finding a lot of common ground with a lot of different kinds of folks 
around that. So we educate people, we give people tools and empower people to get activated and to begin to educate their communities and to begin to educate their lawmakers and the people who can actually end this policy once and for all. Um, I got involved really. I mean, I, I truly believe God called me to this work. I'm actually an ordained Presbyterian minister also. And yes, I saw that. Yeah. And so, um, in, in college, I went to school in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and began to do some ministry in the community and begin to wonder why certain kids, particularly black kids, were getting more uh, caught up in the juvenile justice system than kids that I was hanging around with in college. And like, wait a minute, you know, what's yeah. going on here? I don't. And, and as I went on to seminary, I, I went to seminary at a Presbyterian seminary in Georgia. Tennessee, interestingly, had had the death penalty for many years, but was not executing. We went from 1960 to 2000 in our state with no executions. So when I moved to Georgia, yeah, I moved to Georgia in 1993 and Georgia was actively executing. And so I suddenly was confronted with this um, in addition to sort of my growing in my faith and my putting my faith into practice um, outside of the church walls. Um, and just really began to be more and more convicted about it. And so I moved to na- back home to Tennessee in 97 to serve as um, a pastor here in Nashville. And that okay. was just as the state was having the conversations about restarting the death penalty. And wow. so all of that worked together. I served that church for nine years, but my heart was saying, hey, if you can find a way, this is what you need to do. Um, and so that's that's how I got here. Wow. Wow. That's how you got here. Yeah. I um I, I would I would love for you. Uh I mean, th- I've been actually waiting to have a conversation like this with someone like you for a long time because you know, when I come across uh, or, or when I when I discuss this online, it is very um passionate. It yeah. is very um, uh, emotional because, because honestly, like of, of the moral compass side of the thing that, that is like what I am. I, I just, I can't fathom looking somebody in the eye and them not feeling some sort of empathy, some sort of something. And so mm-hmm. that's where I, that's where I always lean against, but I would love for you to even start off with, talk to us a little bit about the, the policy side of things, mm-hmm. you know? So, so for those that I'm not necessarily, you know, going to convince with my woo and tears. Mm-hmm. Let let's let let's let's start there for those that are listening to my show that are like, well, you know what? I mean, I mean, let's be. I don't I don't know if I'm for or against the death penalty in general, but maybe let's talk to them about some of the broken parts of of it all. Absolutely. I mean, I think most of us can agree that the amount of money that you have in your bank account, the color of your skin your mental health status, um, the county in which you live mm. should not be more determinative about whether or not you end up on death row wow. than the crime itself, right? Yes. What we see, though, is that factors like those I just mentioned often are more determinative for who ends up on death row. Um, wow. that, is not, that is not an indication of a system that's working properly. It's right. absolutely unfair, unfairly applied. It's absolutely arbitrarily applied. So what we see is things like these factors, the county in which you live. Wow. 2%, Carlos, of counties in the United States as of 2013, the Death Penalty Information Center, which is a wonderful resource for folks, Okay, they did a study found that 2% of counties in this country are responsible for the majority of executions and the majority of death sentencing. Wow. 2%. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing that we still think this is constitutional, right? (laughs) In our, you know, like, because it's supposedly cruel and unusual, but well, that seems to me to be very unusual, right? Right. 50% of death row in Tennessee comes from one county, Shelby County. That is is the home of Memphis and, interestingly, is a county with a history of racial violence. Absolutely. Um, You look at uh, counties 
I believe like from the late 1800s to about 1950, that county, Shelby County, was in the top 25 counties for lynching. Wow. In that period of time. Ida B. Wells. Many folks may be familiar with Ida B. Wells, amazing journalist and activist, wrote an essay in the, I think, 1893 about the lynching of her friends in Memphis at the People's Grocery. She was run out of town, had to relocate after that. Again, happened in Shelby County. These mm. things aren't coincidental, right? right. So th- th- we see the racial disparities in the death penalty. We see that it's poor folk, folk who mm. can't afford <laughs> yeah. um, to hire the best attorneys, right? Who are dependent on state resources for their defense. We see people with intellectual disability with serious mental health problems who are trying to navigate the system. So it's just when you begin to look at all that, you're seeing how um, often it is the the weakest of the weak Mm -hmm. that are ending up on death row. We also know, Carlos, and this is something most people I don't think know, that it is far more expensive to taxpayers to maintain the death penalty system than to rely on the alternative sentences like life sentences or life without parole. Mm. It costs millions more per case over the life of of pursuing capital litigation, millions more. And those are dollars we are not spending to prevent these crimes from happening in the first place, right? Right. right. We've got it kind of backwards here. Um, the other piece, and there's a lot more I could say about what yes, I think please. the problems are. Feel free. But I mean, I can, I can preach to you for a long time, Carlos. <laughs> I mean, you, you may have to cut me off. That's fine. But, um, the, the, you know, the, and the wrongful conviction piece, the innocence yeah. piece, yes, which should for anybody, regardless of your Absolutely. feelings about the death penalty, this should be just bone chilling, right? That, mm that we are in a position in this country where today we have had 185 people since 1970, the early 1970s who have been exonerated after evidence of their innocence came to light. We've executed about 1,500 people in that same time period, which means that for every eight executions, we've had to release someone because we got it wrong. Wow. And those were only the people that were able to prove it and sure. show it, right? Sure. Yeah. Um that's horrific. That's horrific not showing the data of, of innocent people that have been executed. Oh, absolutely not. Right. It and you know, many of those people will never will never know. Yeah. Um, because once that person's executed, that file gets closed. Yeah. Um, so but what we know we've executed innocent people. There's there's really no doubt about that. And the fact is there are innocent people right now Mm. sitting on death rows all across this country. And when you have alternative sentences, right, that don't risk taking a person's life, a mistake you cannot remedy, why would you continue to rely on a system that is this broken? Yeah, Um, It's really, and, and I will say this too, Carlos, before I stop, because I think it's really important. You know, one of the things I have learned and grown the most, I think, in this work is in really listening and being challenged and being taught by surviving family members of murder victims. Wow. People who have lost loved ones to murder, whose lives have been turned upside down, um, whose pain is is so intense, so raw. Um, And I am not a murder victim's family member. So Mm -hmm. I could never speak for those individuals, but I do know many of them, some of whom totally oppose the death penalty, some of whom are for it, you know? Um, But what I hear over and over, Carlos, is the current way the death penalty is structured, Mm -hmm. right? It is very, um, it is a very long process necessarily so because we're see how many issues don't get dealt with. And you know, you've got decades of litigation and issues still not getting before the court evidence still not getting heard. 
So you've got family stuck in this trauma space for 30 plus years, unable to get out of that because they keep being told, this is what you need. Mm. This is what's going to bring you whatever closure is. And that breaks my heart. And I think that if we could acknowledge that the death penalty system simply isn't serving anyone, 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 including these families, and redirect our energy and our resources toward what do those families need in the wake of this horrible tragedy Mm. to begin that process of healing. Not just a promise of an execution, maybe that might happen 30 years down the line. You know, I, I don't think I've, I've thought about the second side. I'll call it the second side of the victim's family. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the one side of the victim family that I, that I do think about and hear from is victims' families who, um, who have come out against the death penalty themselves because they mm-hmm. because of forgiveness and, or, or realizing that that this isn't going to heal or bring bring the healing that you know they may have thought it once did, but I don't think I've thought about the other side of even you know like you said even knowing murder victims' families that maybe for the death penalty, but the way yeah. that it's set up is literally traumatizing them on a daily basis for decades upon decades upon decades. And why would we have a system that is going to do that to them as well? I think is what I'm hearing you saying. It is. And, and I, I have, I have even again, those families that adamantly support the death penalty have said to me, the way this is set up now, this year after year, after year, after year is agonizing. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it is agonizing, but the flip side of that, as you and I have already discussed is that we continue to see so many problems and people who who have really strong evidence of innocence that can't get it heard in their, you know, so it, if you start cutting the process short, you ensure more innocent people are going to be executed. What an incredible conversation. We're not done yet. Thank you, Stacey, uh, for where you're leading us. Do you want to slip in here for just a moment and talk about one of our show sponsors, BetterHelp, um, their partner, and you guys have actually been doing it. I'm so proud. You guys have been heading over to betterhelp.com slash human hope. Uh, and you guys know BetterHelp is a personal licensed clinical therapist that can speak with you guys whenever you want. Uh, you get to connect in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. So listen, whatever it is, depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, anything you share is confidential. It's convenient. It's professional. And I love them with everything. I wouldn't talk about them if I didn't. Only things I really feel strongly about do I talk about on the show. So this is what I want you guys to do. You'll get 10% off. If you go for your first month, if you go to betterhelp.com slash human hope, that's betterhelp.com slash human hope. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell, tell me this, Stacey, um, just as a, you know, as a civilian that isn't isn't a lawyer i'm not a law enforcement officer i'm not a i don't have any family that really is is any of these why does what what is the process why does it take so long like like what 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 is it that makes something last decades when something like this is you know i mean i've read the books i've read you know the sun still shines i've read you know all the uh the books but i don't think i i i still understand what takes um this long, I guess. 
It's a great question, and I I will full disclosure not an attorney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I've been I've been around attorneys for a long time, and yeah. so and my understanding of what I have observed and learned from them is, um, again, when you're talking about a death sentence, you're talking about the most um, ultimate form of, of punishment punishment in yeah. this country, and that there are um, things that the U.S. Supreme Court and the Constitution have. Um, created to try to make the system work better, right? That apply to that process versus any other sentence. Um, so, for example, a death penalty trial, it has two phases it has a guilt phase and a sentencing phase. Uh-huh. It lasts longer. You have to determine if a jury is what they call death qualified, okay. which means you have to interview potential jurors, you know. Can you give a death sentence? Can you not? All of this takes much more time, right? And money. Mm -hmm. That's just at the trial phase. Right. If a person cannot afford their own attorney, has an appointed attorney, has a public defender who maybe doesn't have the proper resources that they need. Right. If the prosecutor somehow decides that they're not going to turn over certain evidence or things like that happen at trial. Oops. I think I froze. Oh, no, you're fine. Am I okay? okay. Uh, yeah, you're fine on my so, side. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. I can okay. hear you great. Good. So if 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 things don't get turned over, if witnesses don't get talked to, you know, all these things, then once you get out of the the trial, you have another level of appeals, right? You get new attorneys. They start digging. They start finding things. They start addressing issues that didn't get addressed. You know, it goes through. And sometimes, you know, the state will say, we need time to respond. Well, that may be six months. It may be longer. Sometimes the judge says, I need time to decide. That may take a long time. And this goes on. There's three levels of this. Wow. So you see how, I mean, here in Tennessee, we had a case of a man who ultimately was, um, all charges against him were dropped. It took him almost 10 years, if I'm remembering this correctly, to get DNA DNA testing introduced into the courts. Wow. Because of the fighting back and forth. Yeah. You know, for most people out, you know, they're watching CSI and Law and Order. Sure. (laughs) They think, oh, oh, if you've got DNA, you just walk into the court and say, hey, here's DNA evidence, right? Okay, no, 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 no. First, you even have to get a judge to approve the testing. Then you got to get it heard in some court. You know, and this can drag on for years. So you just see how these things can take such yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Stacy, I, I, I'm hearing. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing there are, um, th- there's chances that many chances, uh, not even chances, but we know that there's been innocent people that have been put to death, and so for 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 anybody that is is going like, yes, we can't execute innocent people. And they're hearing this conversation. They're agreeing, okay, this needs to take a long time. There there needs to be space so that we can make sure that if they are innocent, um, everybody finds that out and they're let off. Talk to us now about um, the open and shut cases. Okay. So, so talk to us about now, now there's somebody listening to the podcast that's going, okay, I get it. Yeah. We definitely should not, you know, if there's a question, we should not. But what about the guy or the lady who we saw on video? We saw them put a gun to whoever's head, pull the trigger, and we know they did it. We know they're sentenced to, sentenced to death. There is not a doubt that they did not do it. Now let's talk. I think I think where the conversation needs to shift is okay. And this may be more of a this this may be more of the kind of heart moral part of the death penalty from mm-hmm. you, but. But speak to us, or speak to them. Speak to those that that may be going. You know what? I, I don't know. Like, yes, I don't. I don't think. I think well, maybe we should have a lot less um, executions. But for those that really did it, I just I, I feel like I feel like they still need to die. Um, mm. Just 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 maybe lean into that. And and again, knowing knowing that um, you know, no words of mine or yours. May may possibly you know shift somebody's view of this, but can you speak to uh, to that listener for a second? Absolutely. 
you know, I will first say before I sort of lean into my my yeah. moral um, <laughs> piece is that regardless of you know, even if the person it's looks like an open and shut case, you they still constitutionally have a right to. Yes you know, the yeah, trial to the appeals. And so you're still going to have all that. You're yeah. going to have that cost. You're going to have that time. Um, so that's still going to be there. But yeah. but apart from that, obviously, um, you know, for me, this is about, and, and, and as, a, as, a, as a Christian, yeah. my, my conviction as a follower of Jesus is that, um, you know, God loves us not as much as we deserve, but as much as we need. Mm. And um, this notion of figuring out who deserves what um, just doesn't seem like my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and and you know the story that has it, it, there's and there's many obviously there's much biblical um, interpretation we could talk about stories and text and you know, folks do that. But the one for me that has been probably one of the most helpful is the story of the woman caught in adultery, which I'm sure many folks are familiar with, where Jesus um, is presented with the woman who's broken the law. And under the law of the day, it's a capital crime. Um, The folks who have presented her are not a mob, (laughs) you know, ready to to lynch her. It is the, the leaders of the community who have the authority to carry out the law. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and she is guilty. Now I always say here that her partner in crime is nowhere to be found and is not being brought before uh, uh, Jesus or the authorities, which again, sort of maybe points to what happens in death penalty cases when yeah. sometimes you have people that are as culpable as the one that's going to death row, but they're not. Absolutely. Going to death row, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but in this case, she is the one and you know, the, in the famous uh, uh, scene where Jesus bends down and he's writing on the ground and he looks up and says, you who are without first sin, uh, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the, the first stone. Absolutely. Um, and what he does there is he reframes the question. It's not, does this woman deserve to die? Mm. Right? Because by the law, right. she does. Right. She's guilty. It's, do you all deserve to kill her? Wow. Do you all have the moral authority to make that call? And the only person on the scene who actually does, Jesus, yeah. does, not, um, does not condemn her to death. Wow. But, in, but instead says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. He said, neither do I go and sin no more. Right? Um, and so for me, that was, that's so helpful because we get so caught up in these horrible crimes, and they're horrible. Right. And the details of them and the horror that the families are going through and all of that. But at the end of the day, 30 years down the road, Mm -hmm. when we execute people in, in, at least in Tennessee, it's usually 25, 30 years later. Right. Wow. When you take a shackled person 30 years away from what has happened, who is completely defenseless and you strap them down and you execute them, is that about them? Mm. At that point, or is that right. about me and right. you and us, right? And to me, that's what we have. Who are we? Yeah. Who do we want to be? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to be what the mm. death penalty makes me. Yeah. Um, and so that's that. I I have found that to be helpful because it, rather than focusing on the individual who has yeah. offended and committed. I need to focus on what am I called to do as a follower of Jesus? Right. Right. You know, and look to him for that guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, that is what has helped me really, you know, really be able to say it's not about desserts. Right. Mm -hmm. And I see this, I see this, Carlos, I just read this somewhere where, you know, people say, this person doesn't deserve mercy. This person, and I'm like, nobody deserves mercy. Right. Mercy isn't deserved. That's, that's it's an oxymoron. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, the, 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 the literal definition of the word is telling you that nobody deserves it. <laughs> it's not, right. It's not about deserts, but there's right. just something in humans that is so, you know, mercy's really hard. Yeah. You know, when you've been hurt. Yeah. Um, but I still think that's what we're called to do. 
Ah, uh, yes. I mean, that is that is so good. You, I'm actually, I'm whether or not this was even a podcast, just to hear you say that to me, put such good language and structure around my heart when I am constantly telling people oh, who good. just who am I, who are we to make a decision on someone else's? Who am I to play God? Who am I to, you know, um, I, I just I I I don't see how I could ever um, be carry that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I thank you for that. That was really helpful um, for me. You know, I, I would love for you to, to talk about for a second. I know that um, you, uh, I think you, you, you served as a spiritual advisor for uh, somebody in Tennessee, uh, an inmate that was executed ultimately. Can you maybe Stacy, Stacy, talk to us a little bit about that journey um, about that relationship and ultimately um, maybe what, what he taught you and how that ended up. You guys are not going to want to miss uh, in just about 90 seconds, the next part of this conversation, because it, it was not only life-changing to Stacy, but I think it's going to be life-changing to you as well. But we do have, I, I, I couldn't do music behind this because this is the first time that this show sponsor is on the show and I'm really excited about it. And I don't want to ruin the mood with like the wrong music, but let me tell you guys why I'm so excited. I want to be honest with you guys. I hate brushing my teeth. I ha- I've always hated brushing my teeth. Why? Well, because I don't know when you're a kid, you just don't like to do it. And then I, as you grow up, I just didn't like to do it and I do it, but I don't do it long enough. I don't do it right. I go to the dentist. I get yelled at. Not no more. Not no more. Why? Because quip Q U I P is the brand new toothbrush. It's a smart electric toothbrush that is actually going to reward you for brushing your teeth. Now, listen, I told you guys, I don't talk about things that I ain't using. I am using this Quip toothbrush and it earns you perks, like honestly, free products, gift cards, and more for brushing your own teeth. I'm telling you, you brush your teeth, you get gift cards. This is not a scam. This is for real. I've been doing it myself. The Quip Smart Toothbrush for adults and kids. It connects to your phone via Bluetooth. It tracks when and how well you brush your teeth. You get tips. You get coaching. Yeah, that's right. Coaching. The other day I I was brushing. It was like, Carlitos, you're brushing too fast. Got to slow it down. And it actually improves your habits. I don't know if you guys know this, but teeth health actually leads to gut health, which leads to body health. Y'all's teeth, our teeth is so important to our overall health. And we we get to, with a quick quip toothbrush, earn points daily for brushing and bonus points for doing challenges. <laughs> this is like Orange Theory Fitness for your mouth. All right. That's like, it's like you gamify working out. You can gamify brushing your teeth. Okay. So it, it it's really going to help you guys. I, I, I This is what you got to do. Trust me here. You guys trust me? You trust Carlitos? This is what I'm going to ask you to do. To start getting rewards for brushing your teeth right now and to get Quip, head over to getquip.com slash human hope right now. And you're going to save 10 bucks on a Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush. That's right, because Carlitos loves you and wants your pearly whites to be healthy. That's $10 off a Smart Electric Toothbrush at getquip.com slash human hope. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash human hope quip the good habits company now back to our incredible conversation with stacy um about um what was his name again i'm so sorry steve henley steve henley okay yeah um so um i won't record this part won't be in the podcast it'll be the last question so go ahead and just start talking about um your relationship with um steve henley and how all of that played out sure sure um well i um after moving back to nashville um to serve uh the church i served i became um, interested in visiting on death row and went through a volunteer visitation program was matched with a man i did not know um, his name was Steve Henley, and he had already been on Tennessee's death row at that point for 13 years, and this would have been 1999. Wow. Um, and I just began. Um, he was um, he was in in uh, in prison on death row for a double homicide um, of an elderly couple in a rural area of the state. 
Um, he had been a farmer um, and um, had really never been in trouble with the law before, other than maybe writing a bad check or something like that. I mean, nothing sure. violent. And um, we began to visit and did that every, I would go every other week and visit with him for about two hours um, and did that for 10 years. Um, wow. Yeah. And he, you know, he became like a big brother over time and was very protective of me. And we had a lot in common. We'd both grown up in rural areas of the state. We both had big extended families and were close to our grandparents and grew up on farms. And so there was a lot of, a lot of connections that we made. Um, you know, we didn't talk about what had happened. Um, we simply, you know, I was there to really listen and, and, and be his friend. Um, but as time went on and the state began to look to set an execution date for him, um, you know, he, um, obviously was very concerned. Steve, um, you know, I, I'm to this day, you know, don't know exactly what happened um, in his case. I know there were, as often is the case, there were issues in terms of his defense and in terms yeah. of um, his ability to defend himself. And and um, there was a there was a um, co-defendant who is the one who provided all of the evidence against Steve, who testified against him, who said he was the the most culpable. And that man, the jury believed he would do 25 years for his participation. He did five and was released. Um, Steve got the death penalty. Um, And um, he had always maintained his innocence, um, which, you know, was, yeah, he maintained his innocence the entire time I knew him. Um, And even up to um, those last hours um, when, uh, he was visiting with his family and, you know, there are oftentimes when family, there, there are, um, issues within families, you know, um, sometimes there's not a lot of family support for people who are on death row. Um, Steve did have it. He did have, um, elderly parents. He had two sisters. He had, a uh, two adult children. He had a brother who had been murdered while he was in prison you know, just, just, and, and all of these folks had their own, um, you know, they'd been on their own journey along the way and, and they were there for him and they supported him. And, um, you know, he wanted me to be there when he said goodbye to them. Um, and it was gut wrenching as you might imagine. Um, and he again, maintained his innocence, um, at that time. And even, even on uh, the gurney, um, I was, I was very, um, proud of him though, because he had really, he had a lot of anger about where he was and he had been in 23 years at this point. And, um, he, he had a lot of frustration. He, you know, I mean, obviously, but in those last hours, he had really been given peace. Um, Mm. and we just, you know, we, I just couldn't believe how calm and peaceful he was. And and he wow. just said, I can't explain it. And I said, well, I think it's the peace that passes all understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really, mm-hmm. Carlos, in those last hours, very, he was experiencing a lot of gratitude. Yeah. And in fact, he said, and I clearly remember this because I got to sit with him by his death watch cell. You did. For two hours from nine to 11. Then I was removed. At, the, at this time, Tennessee carried out executions at 1 a.m. This was okay. in 2009. So I could be there as his spiritual advisor from 9 to 11, bars between us. Then I went out, came back in with family and media for the execution at 1. Okay. Um, so I was with him in those couple of hours. We shared communion. We talked. Um, and that's when he said, we read scripture, and, and he said, you know, I feel like I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> Wow. And I said, Steve, you're going to have to unpack that for a minute. I said, <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I'm not. You know, this. Where I'm sitting with you on death watch. I'm not. I'm yeah. not tracking you. And he said, Well, you know, and, and you know, Steve, like I said, he was a country guy. You know, and he said, Well, he said, I've been thinking about it. And he said, I reckon there are people out there ain't been loved the way I have. Wow. You know, and I mean, so that was where he was in those last moments, and he did say, um. 
as he was before he was executed that he hoped even though he he continued to maintain his innocence again uh-huh. which i do not know right, I, you right, know it, right that wasn't my role being, yeah. you know to be there for him but but he just said um i do hope that if i'm going to die i hope it brings y'all peace Wow. To the family uh, of wow. the people who who were the the victims of the crime, so it was a very traumatic, uh, as you might imagine, situation. Yeah. Um, and um, his his execution did not go properly, and so oh. it was brutal to to be there. And his family was there, uh, his sisters and and kids yeah. were there, and it was it was really really hard on all of us. Um, but you know, he, he, he continues to, to guide me in my work. Mm, yeah. Um, and I know that he, regardless of his, regardless of what happened, regardless of his guilt or innocence, yeah. um, he was, he was my brother, you know, yeah. and, and he, he, um, taught me a lot about having dignity <laughs> against all odds and and yeah. and and really um looking you know trying to maintain gratitude yeah. and he really hoped and he he very much believed and i and i believe too that he said i hope my death mm. will help some of the other guys out here mm. you know maybe wow. this will help us finally get to a point where we don't have to do this anymore yeah um and so it was, it was quite a journey. And, and, and as I said, you know, I've, I've seen the pain of, of Steve, I've seen the pain of his family. And then I've seen the pain of those whose loved ones have been murdered, right? who have been told for so, so long that this is what they need, uh-huh. you know, that this is what's going. To, and, and there's just so much, there's just so much pain in it all. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't understand how I'm, the act of taking his life or anyone's life mm-hmm. made that any better for anybody. Right. Um, right. Um, it, it, you know, the next day I said, you know, what's changed? Right. What's changed other than there's now another grieving family. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but everything else is, have, we haven't made anybody safer. We haven't intervened in the life of a young person who needs, uh, who needs intervention because mm-hmm. of the abuse they're suffering. You know, we, we haven't addressed the mental health needs of so many people out there who are struggling. We haven't, um, you know, we haven't supported victims, families with, with um, the healing process that they need in terms of, you know, financial and right. emotional and spiritual. We haven't done that for all these years. Like, what what has changed? How are we different or in any way closer to being the community we want to be because yeah. we have done this? Yeah. And we're not, you know. Right, right. Um, right. Um, and that that's just, that's what I think we have to keep asking ourselves as we pursue these death sentences. What is it that we are gaining mm. in terms of the community that we want to be by carrying this out, yeah. you know, and we're, we're gaining nothing. We're yeah. losing. Yeah. Um, what would you say, Stacy? are, you know, the, the organization that you're with is, is called Tennesseans for alternatives to the death penalty. So give us the alternatives. What are the alternatives that uh, your organization kind of stakes its foundation on? Well, you know, we don't promote any particular alternative that's on the books today, right? Uh-huh. So in Tennessee, you know, the the, the sentences for first-degree murder are a life sentence, which in our state right now is extremely harsh. It's a 51-year life sentence before eligibility for parole. Wow. Um, there is a sentence of life without parole, right, which is exactly uh-huh. what it says, no parole eligibility, and then there is a death penalty. So if the concern is a lack of accountability or the fact that someone's going to get out and reoffend, that is not a concern in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. If we got rid of the death penalty, that would not be a concern, right? Because right. we have these other sentences. 
But I like to go even further than that and say what the real alternative to the death penalty is, is how do we provide trauma-informed care in our communities for people who are suffering, particularly in communities disproportionately impacted by violence and violent crime? Yeah. How are we getting to young people um, growing up in abusive situations, neglectful situations, you go to death row and you look at the family histories of the people sitting there, you are going to see horrific evidence of abuse, yeah. of neglect, often, you know, um, horrific poverty, um, histories of mental health in the fa- mental health, mental illnesses in the family that were never addressed. Yeah. Right. So, so how, the alternative to me is how do we take all the money and energy now that we're using for this sentence and redirect Wow! so that we can prevent some of these yeah. things? And we know there is evidence-based, there are evidence-based programs out there around trauma-informed care, around violence interruption and and providing jobs, you know, for young people in, in communities where there's not a lot of opportunity. There are, there's evidence that this is what lowers your violent crime rate, wow. right? So yeah. that for me is the alternative we've got to strive for. Um, and I certainly understand that in the meantime, there has to be a way to keep society safe. We have sure. that. We have that, but but I think the bigger picture is what do we need to be doing before we ever get to a point where someone who has likely been very hurt themselves, yeah, hurt somebody else. Yeah, wow. Oh my gosh, so much good stuff. So many good takeaways. Um, I was, you know, this is actually perfect. This conversation is coming right now for me. I was able to go um, and serve for an entire day, about 10 hours at the Tennessee, uh, whatever the Tennessee women's prison is here in, uh, in Nashville. Yes. Uh, about five weeks ago. And I got to go um, to, to the four maximum security um, cell blocks. And I was able to, you know, to visit with them. You know, they're, they're not let out of their cells more than an hour a day. And I uh, was able to talk to them through the cracks in their doors. And, and at the, um, at the, at the last cell block we went to, I didn't, I didn't even know this was going to happen. Uh, but that was the cell block that, uh, Krista Pike, um, who is the only woman on death row in Tennessee, um, was incarcerated in. And, um, I, we were we were handing out w- cookies and water to every single inmate um, in their in their uh, through their, the little slap on their door, and then they kind of just took a, us around a corner. Like it was another cell that was in that block, but it wasn't you know uh, separate as I would assume it was. And um, was told by the corrections officer on the way there that this is going to be Krista Pike that I'm going to get to give her a cookie and some water and. I'll tell you what, um, when I knew that Stacy, when I handed her the cookie, I just, I, I grabbed her hand <laughs> and, um, and I just, I just, I just said, I see you. Uh, and she just, she just said, thank you, pastor. You know, she called me a pastor. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to confuse people. I'm not an ordained pastor. Uh, but I was, I was preaching the, uh, the word while I was in there. And you know, that, that was just kind of like another moment for me where, <laughs> I just, I want to, I want to do more. Like I, I want to, mm-hmm. and, and I think this is one facet of doing more is inviting Stacy on this podcast and saying, Stacy, talk to us about this. Um, but I think something else that, that I would love to do more is to put some actionable steps um, mm-hmm. in front of my listeners and in front of myself. So I guess that's what I'm going to ask you is, you know, for those that listen to this conversation that may have been swayed to action or for those that are already um, wanting to put some action behind their conviction. Um, what, what are some tangible ways that the listeners of the human hope podcast can, um, can become death penalty abolitionists and can become people that um, help end this once and for all. Great question, and 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 you you were and are a pastor in your role. Yes, and no, handing it's her true. That cookie yes. and and handing her that cookie and that water. That's yeah. nothing more pastoral. Um, yeah. 
So in terms, yeah, of action, so important. You know, we are uh, TennesseeDeathPenalty.org, and that's okay. all spelled out. Um, that's our website. You can join, get on our list, um, email list, which is a great way to sort of begin to understand kind of what, what needs to happen and what we're doing and how folks uh-huh. can plug into that. Um, we're all over social media too, ten- at Tennessee death penalty. Um, you know, we always can use financial support as well. Some folks can do that. We're on Venmo Tennessee at Tennessee death penalty. And there's other ways to support us, uh, through our website. Um, uh-huh. one of the things that we're working on right now in, uh, is supporting an actual clemency campaign that's going on here in Tennessee. Okay. And that, uh, that man's name is Purvis Payne. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I think he, a lot of people are probably familiar with, with, um, or have heard his name in the news yes. in the last year. That's right. His name has been out there for those who may not know Purvis Payne has been on Tennessee's death row now for over 30 years. Um, he was, um, he is a black man living with an intellectual disability, um, whose racially charged case has all the hallmarks of a wrongful conviction, tried and convicted in Shelby County, circling back to the beginning, the county yep. where half of our death row has come from. Yeah. Purvis Payne had no criminal record, um, no history of violence, no history of drug use, um, and, um, he uh, has always maintained his innocence. Mm-hmm. He maintains that he heard a woman and children in distress across the hall from his girlfriend's apartment. She, his girlfriend wasn't there when he heard the sounds. He went in. He walked into a crime scene. Okay. He heard the cops coming. Here he was, a 20-year-old young black man in an apartment with a white woman and two white children two of whom all, the, the, the mother and the daughter ultimately died. The little boy survived. Okay. Purvis did not know what to do. He ran. Um, and once he was apprehended, there was no investigation. Basically, a motive was, um, a motive was needed. And so that motive became a young black man hyped up on drugs looking to have sex with a white woman. When wow. she said no, he he butchered them all. This yeah, was the yeah. this was the narrative that was used to prosecute him, without wow. any evidence that he had to any that. history. Right, zero. Um, again, has maintained his innocence for <clears throat> all these years. DNA was finally ordered last year. DNA testing on crime scene evidence. The most critical piece of that evidence, Carlos, which was fingernail scrapings. Yeah. under the victim's nails, which yeah. would have likely shown this isn't Purvis Payne, right? This is somebody right. disappeared. Disappeared? Correct. In what? July of 2020, the Shelby County District Attorney's Office in court was asked, do you have, and they listed out, the Purvis's attorney said, do you have this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece of evidence? We want it tested. By the way, the Innocence Project is also a part of, of Purvis's okay. team now. Okay. The Shelby County District Attorney said, yes, we do. Yes, we have this. That was July. When they came back in September to hear what the judge was going to decide in terms of whether or not this evidence would actually be tested, yeah. the judge said, we want it tested. Yes, I, I affirm it should be tested. And that is when the Shelby County District Attorney said, oh, sorry, we don't have that evidence anymore. And there's... Nothing anybody can do about it, apparently. So even still, with the evidence that was tested, there was unknown male DNA on the murder weapon. (laughs) Now, it was too degraded because, again, you're talking about a 30-plus year case, you know, 30-plus years ago. It was too degraded for the FBI database to get an actual hit. You know, it was just there wasn't enough there. But there yeah. was enough to to say it did not belong to Purvis Paint. Wow! So there are a lot of questions in his case on uh, around whether this man committed this crime. A lot of Period. strong yeah. evidence that that he didn't. But beyond that, it is also unconstitutional to execute anyone with intellectual disability. Wow. And so 
We've been working in Tennessee. Thankfully, our legislature passed a law this spring allowing okay. folks like Purvis, who had not ever been able to get their full uh, evidence of disability heard in the court system, uh-huh. allowed that to happen. And so he will get into court December 13th. He will go into court in Memphis and put on evidence of intellectual disability. Okay. If the court determines that he is, in fact, intellectually disabled, he he should be removed from death row, but will okay. still be, you know. So what we are asking is for folks to learn more about his case, purvispainting.org, okay. um, okay. and that's P-E-R-V-I-S-P-A-Y-N-E.org. There's a petition that folks can sign, um, share his story on social media. We want Governor Lee because Governor Lee at any time could say, okay, I'm getting this man off death row. Like that could wow. happen any time. Um, and so we're still asking folks, contact the governor, ask him to, to provide clemency for Purvis Payne. Um, but we also want people to just to follow his case, post about it on social media. And, you know, so let's see what happens in December. So I hope, okay. folks, that's that's a very specific thing that people yeah, can that's be doing very right tangible. now. Yeah, very tangible. People can be doing right now. Um, but I would encourage you to, to sign up on our website to get our emails because we're constantly bringing you actions to take, not okay. just in Tennessee, but across the country, yeah. too. So TennesseeDeathPenalty.org. No, yeah. TennesseeDeathPenalty.org. That's it. Is the site. Stacy. This has been so good. And I just wish everybody could just see your face. You light up the room. You've got, oh, um, you, you. you just, yes, you just have the joy of the Lord is around you. And I, I'm so grateful uh, for you and your work and your organization's work and uh, for s- spending a few minutes with us here on the Human Hope Podcast. Thank you, Stacy, so much. Thank you, Carlos. Back at you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That was incredible. Everything I wanted it to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy Rector, the executive director of Tennesseans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Go to TennesseeDeathPenalty.org. Let me spell Tennessee because I know some of you guys are probably like me when I moved to Tennessee. I couldn't spell it. T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-E, DeathPenalty.org. You guys can join their mailing list there. And let's get involved. Let's get involved. Let's get Purvis Payne out. Let's get him off death row. Um, and let's 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 just go after this. Go after the humanity and maybe lean into the fact that, you know what? It's not our responsibility to make the final decision of death for somebody, but it is our responsibility to show them love. Everybody, the victims' families, the murderers' families, all of them. Thank you guys so much. You guys know what helps. Every single week, if you guys can share this with your friends, share this with your family, let people know uh, just about the Human Hope Podcast. This thing's growing and I'm just pumped that this is actually becoming part of my job and one of the favorite things that I do. You know what? Let's queue up. Let's queue up Dr. The Dr. Delight himself. Hit it. Ladies and gentlemen. Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, the Human Hope Studios. Carlos and the saying thank you so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Human Hope. Please like, subscribe, share this podcast. Make sure that your mother, your sister, your daughter, your brother, your aunts and uncles, they all join the Human Hope Familia. And I will see you guys next week for another heart-stirring episode of mine and your favorite podcast, the Human Hope Podcast. Let's do it.